0: Hello and welcome to a one week delayed uh, awesome episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. We have a full house tonight. Um, lots of lots of voices from the writers room joining Corey and myself. That's right. Uh, and we get to watch uh, Baron wreak havoc.
1: <laughs> <in Yardif prompt. laughs> yes, trouble is stirred up in Nargothrond. Yes, yeah. exactly.
0: And we have the the distinct pleasure of having uh, this episode's um, screenwriter, Rhiannon, join us tonight. And it's always fun when we get to hear from from the person who's uh, who's bringing this to life.
1: Absolutely, well, welcome. Thanks back, for joining friend. us. Yeah, yeah, um, and uh, yeah. So excited to get going today. Let me just start with my uh, normal quick few announcements The a uh, couple things i wanted to highlight that are coming up on our calendar here first we have some new signum academy clubs starting up in january we have a japanese conversation club um now our signum academy clubs of course are these are uh extracurricular cra- clubs for primarily for middle school and high school kids um and uh, so we got japanese conversation club and elvish translation club both starting up in January. Those are brand new. We're also going to start a new section of our Creative Writing Club, which we had before as well, Um, and as well as continuing our Old English Translation Club and our book club that we've also been doing. So um, those are some new options. So if if you know... Any uh, kids, you know, ages like eight to eighteen, who would uh, be interested in either learning Japanese or uh, uh, learning to uh, read Tolkien's invented Elvish languages, um, then (laughs) as as Marie nods in approval uh, of this (laughs) of this prospect, um, uh, I encourage you to uh, 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 tell them to to register so that we can know of their interest. If you go to Signum University here and then Signum Academy and our uh, uh, non-degree programs, you can get more information on each of how each of our different clubs works, and the registration button is down here. It's a simple web form uh, that you can fill out in order to uh, just tell us, like, the name of the kid in question and... Um, where you're coming from, what, uh, uh, the, what the t- especially your time availability is what you're interested in. And then we'll be in touch to coordinate that and get that all set up. So, um, And then, of course, we also have our next regional moot. The beginning of our spring moot season is going to be Ozmoot in Brisbane, Australia on the 27th of January. Very excited for Ozmoot. Um, so that uh, is going to be... A really good time encourage folks it's good it's a really great schedule it's also uh longer we're doing more here than because you know we're not gonna i could go all the way to australia and then just like spend a few hours right so um we're doing some more stuff than usual so uh people who sign up for remote attendance first of all will probably never have been quite so remote as this um but uh also will will be able to do even more things than usual so um Anyhow, I'm not... I don't think the Osmute schedule's been finalized yet, but I've seen a draft, and it's pretty awesome. So we should be releasing that pretty soon, I think. Um, All right. Anyway. um, Oh, we've got the zoomed-in map again. Okay, looking at Baron's path from Doriath. I have to admit, when he was rafting at the beginning... I was like, wait, which river is he rafting in? I'm like, oh, he's probably rafting down the Syrian and then going across to Nargathron from there. So, anyway. Um, all right. Good, we can refer back to the chart here. This is right for, right for the... If I forget anything about previous episodes, as I want to do. So, um, uh, today, we are going to talk about episode five. Um, so, episode four, of course, was the... Uh, the, the Doriath episode, right? The falling in love episode. This was a, a really important one. We talked about this a little while back. Um, so our action today takes us to Nargothrond, takes Baron to Nargothrond anyway, and Luthian to prison. Um, so, okay. Our, uh, it, thus we are all ensnared, the quotation from Finrod. This is, uh, that's, uh, this is our, the title of this episode. I uh, love the title. Uh, love how it encompasses not only, of course, obviously its obvious relevance to the Baron and Finrod plot, um, but uh, of course also embracing the imprisonment of uh, of Luthien as well. Um, all right, so... The Oath of Bari here, uh, and the Oath of Feanor in conflict, the crown of Nargothrond falling to the ground, this is our, our A-plot... Um, Okay. Trying to figure out where I want to start exactly to talk about things. Should we talk about the A-plot first? Talk about Nargothrond, right? Okay. Well, so let me start off with a sort of a general comment. There are lots of times in film film experience where one of the things that I have discovered, um, and this is one of the things that has most over the years changed my own Perspective when I'm watching other adaptations um, is that you don't realize how challenging some of the stories, like some of the stories that Tolkien wrote, are to adapt until you do it. Right? Um, often you come and you want to be like, okay, well, we're just going to follow the text here, and then you go to the text and you're like, wait, hang, hang on. <laughs> There's like Tolkien, some of Tolkien. Uh, one of the things that makes Tolkien's writings really powerful and really effective is how much he leaves to your imagination, how much he doesn't tell you, actually. There are a lot of things that he doesn't tell you that he just kind of evokes um, and doesn't really spell out, like, what people are thinking and what exactly they're doing and why they're doing it. And that's really good. That's really uh, um, uh, that's really effective <laughs> as a writing technique. But it means when you are trying to act out the scene, um, it creates challenges that you might not necessarily realize. I know I didn't realize. Um, so let me let me give a specific example, and then we can kind of talk about it, uh, about how you guys were thinking about addressing, uh, you know, the, the way that you guys were kind of wrestling with this uh, in this episode. The fact that... The, the conflict between the oath of, you know, Finrod's oath to Barahir and the oath of Theonor. The whole, like, you know, thus we are all ensnared line from Finrod, right? Like, it's pretty clear how that all ends up going. But the hard thing that I was realizing, and it was it's just one of those things where I was like, I never even really asked this question before. And that is, why does Baron push it? You know, like, I, I, I literally never had this thought in my head before. Like, that Baron goes to Finrod for aid makes sense, right? Um, but when Finrod explains, there's this moment for me when I was reading through the narrative within the episode, Right, I was reading through the script, there's this moment for me where I was realizing, I and mean, this is not a criticism of the script, it's a, like a, an observation about the situation that Tolkien has created in the story, is when finrod explains okay so you want me to help you go get a silmaril so let me explain (laughs) the ramifications of that request right not only um are you like you have been sent to your death right so you're gonna bring me along with you or can i aid you like that's already a gutsy request Right? Like, but okay, like, let's wait, wait we, 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 we can get over that. Um, Sons of Fanor, here in right now, in the, like, it's going to create something like a civil war if we push this, right? And if you announce this publicly. And at some point, and for some reason, Baron has to be like, yep, let's do it. Right? Like, Finrod is oath bound to do what Baron requests of him. But Baron is not oath-bound to request it. I mean, like, and, and again, so the thought that I found myself having when I was going through this for the first time was like, what? how do you not make it look like a jerk move? You know, on Baron's part, to be like, yep, no, I'm creating all kinds of trouble for you, but, well, you swore to my dad, so you got to do it, even if it causes you trouble. I don't care, right? I mean... Obviously, that's not Baron's attitude. And it needn't, you know, Baron needn't, we needn't, like, I'm not saying that there's no other way to do it other than making Baron look like a jerk. I was just realizing, I never realized <laughs> the risk of Baron looking like a jerk. When they, Do you see what I mean by that? Like, that that seems like a real potential problem that needs to be overcome in this. Why does Baron push it?
2: Yes, Baron is such a passive character in his own story. Yes. Very little of what he does is like, and then Baron came up with a plan, set out, achieved this course of action, and this thing happened. It's all like, Baron shows up, and then some stuff happens, and he's like, I don't know what that was all about, but okay. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Over and over again. So, you get used to just things happening around Baron and be like, okay, I guess this is his story. This is
1: what happens with Baron, Yeah. 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 And
2: this incident in Nargothrond is definitely quintessentially that, but also one of the first times that he he seems to have zero control of what's going on and he's just there along for the ride so yeah the story is definitely written that way baron's this passive character who has a goal yeah but doesn't seem to have any plan or any action he can take he feels very helpless in his own story
1: Right. And it's, I mean, on the one hand, like going to Nargothrond is the action that he's taking. Right. I mean, like he does have, he is not without resources for this quest. And the number one resource he has is the friendship and support of Finrod Felgund through his, through the oath to his father. Right. And he knows that he was there. He knows that. And so again, it's not like I think it's wrong of him to be, oh, he should never even have gone to Finrod. He should never even have brought this up. Um, it makes sense that he would. What else can he... I mean, apart from just like, okay, I'm going to go on foot towards Angband, uh, you know, with no plan. Like, there's very little else he can do. That's fine. But again, like, once he's there, I, that situation of the conflicting oaths that Tolkien creates, the whole situation kind of quietly overlooks the fact that there is one person who has it in his power to prevent this conflict of oaths. And that's barren. All he has to do is just say, actually, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. You know, um, I'm not going to push. I'm not going to invoke the oath. I'm not going to ask it. Um, and I feel like there needs, be, you know, there has to be a reason why he I thinks. Do you want to add yeah. a
3: scene or change a scene so that No, no. Again, better. I'm just... I, I think there's space to do that if you yeah, want him yeah. say I'm so sorry that I brought up this conflict of oaths. Can I go away and let this, let's all pretend this never happened. You won't have any trouble with the Feanorians and you won't have to worry about fulfilling your oath. And Finrod can say, no, I'm going to help you regardless. There was a scene that I hadn't had time to write yet, but that I was kind of having ideas for. I don't remember the exact number of it, but it's in the annotated outline somewhere. Where Finno is kind of reflecting on how he feels that now his death that he predicted to Galadriel has come upon him. And he thinks back to his brothers and to all the mortals that he's known and how briefly they lived. And even his brothers should have lived very, very long lives because they're supposed to be immortal. But their lives are still cut short. And how he hopes that they had some happiness in that brief time that they had. And so because of that and because of things like... Andreth and I are never getting together. He wants to make sure that Baron can have happiness in his life, even if it costs Finrod his own life.
2: Mm-hmm. And that
3: might be a way for him to explain why he's willing to go through with this, why he wants to fulfill his oath, even though it's getting tangled up with the oath of Feanor.
1: Yeah, I do agree that the simplest and cleanest way out of the problem is to put it on Finrod, right? To have Finrod insist. Um, I, uh yeah, to, to have the. Does a he scene. really have the? Yeah.
0: Does he really have the agency to choose not to do it? Who, Baron? Yeah. No, Finrod. Well, he doesn't I'm have the agency. Like, can we can we put ourselves in a position where Baron? Um, and this guy, this is a question I have, which is like, remind me, is Baron aware of the consequences of the oath itself, the oath of barrier and the consequences?
4: He was One... Oh, go okay. ahead. I was just going to say he was present when the oath. Happened. Right. Um, but so does he really what have...
0: know what that, like, does he know what, like, does he know sort of what oaths really mean in this world, or is he just kind of.
1: Well, I think he does, but again, what he doesn't realize is, I mean, he, you know, until Finrod explain in the Thus Are We All Ensnared speech, right? Finrod explains, like, okay, let me tell you, you know, how much crap is going to go down as a consequence of me doing this. Um,
0: that's right. the so point. We kinda, yeah. Do we have sort of a chain reaction situation where, like, with once the request is made, like, there's no going back. Like, you can't undo that. Even if Baron's like, no, 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 really, you don't have to do this. Right, and it was like, like oh, too, too late, late, too late. Yeah, like if you're doing right. this, then I must come. And yeah. Baron's so, like, well, I have to do it because I made an
2: oath. Like, yeah. So that's the thing is that we have Baron feeling pretty obligated to fulfill his quest. Sure. And therefore, his story in this episode is he's being offered some alternatives to that. Yes. He he shows up at Narcothrown going, okay, I'm going to fulfill my quest. And his takeaway from the speech that Finrod gives him is, oh, better not mention Silmarils out loud to anybody else. Like, apparently (laughs) this is a big deal, so I'll just keep my mouth shut. So he thinks he's fixing the problem that way. He just right. tells other people he has a quest Ex- and he has to go to On the
1: Ilmaril's
2: say Right, right. He's like, okay, <laughs> yeah. so just, I have a quest I have to do. It's something about Angband, you guys. Yeah. And leaves it at that so that he's not creating a problem. He thinks he's taking care of Finrod in that way.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: But once he decides, like, actually, no, I can't just not do my quest. I really do have to do it. He then has to work for it. Okay, what is what is the option here then? How can yeah. I do this without right? like Right. And so we can have him offering choices to Finrod. But yeah, if Finrod's like, no, this is what you're trying to do, I have of to assist you. I know what you're trying to do. Like, right. now that I know, I have to do it. Yeah. So we can kind of like snowball it that way. And the part that, the part where Baron makes the choice is Someone's got to tell the Fanorians about the Silmaril. So we do leave that up to Baron as to when and how to bring it up. Yeah. And they're super eager to work with him, realizing he has Finrod's favor. And that eagerness continues until the moment they hear the word Silmaril.
4: <laughs> so,
2: mm-hmm. so that's where we're showing that it is Baron's choice that brings this all toppling down, but it's his choice to be honest. Yeah. Like, cause he could have tried to get them to help him mm-hmm. and just been like, let's just play coy with the whole similar thing for as right. long as possible. Like right. I'll just never mention to you guys what I'm up to. So it's his honesty that brings everything out into the open.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, big picture wise, it seems like there are, there are two kind of different directions that we could go. With this whole conflict of oaths situation, we could either lean into the um, sort of oaths and destiny. You know, people are all hopelessly ensnared. Element, right? Um, Baron, you know, like the, the whole that circle of oaths, which includes Baron, as you were suggesting, right? Baron has to go and pursue this quest, and the and so he, the only thing he can do. Um, that isn't purely suicidal is to go to Finrod for help and having gone to Finrod for help, Finrod can't help, but grant the help, but then the oath of Thanor and then everybody, you know, and, and so like, no matter what they do, like they, none of them really have any choice. Like we can kind of lean into the fact that nobody involved has any choice. And this is just like, you know, uh, a a really unfortunate destiny playing itself all out here, right? Or we could go in the direction, and I really liked your suggestion, which seems to me to go in a different direction from that, to say that it's about choice, that that Finrod makes a choice, right? You know, he... Baron could potentially release him from his oath, or at least from applying it in this particular case. And um, Finrod could say basically kind of playing on what we saw what we did with um, Fingolfin before um, with his and so Finron has already had this um, premonition of his death right that he was and then you know so and this idea of like to pursue your calling and fulfill your purpose and to um, to you know to know when the Time when the when you, when the time of your death is coming, you know when it's, uh, you know. So for Finrod to be to say like, okay, no, I can see that doing this is almost certain to lead to my own death. Not to mention, P.S. Huge troubles here at home in Nargothrond, but. Th- but i but I but this is the right thing to do, like you want to release me from it but but I think you know i i I sense that this is in fact like the a thing I am supposed to be doing um and so I insist on going along and and won't let you rele- you know re- release me rihanna as you were suggesting that element of it to play up that sense of choice again kind of para it's not identical to but it's parallel to the kind of to the way we were having Fingolfin um last season right anticipating and kind of setting up his own death um at the end of the season um we could do a similar kind of again it's not exactly the same but a parallel kind of thing uh with Finrod here and and that emphasis that emphasis on his like his his embracing it like i know what this means but i'm not going to back away from it uh and uh you know and i'm going to choose this though it means my own death and and though it may um uh, you know, jeopardize the peace of Nargothrond. Um I that I mean, still kind of comes off it's as wildly
0: irresponsible, doesn't it? What on Finrod's part?
1: Yeah. Well,
4: but we've established <laughs> that the king is not the most important person in the kingdom. Like, oh but I'm
0: thinking more like the it's. It's sort of hard not to, hard not to conclude that this is the, this sets off the chain of events that basically get his, like, just destroy his kingdom and screw his people over. Well, you he like didn't basically...
3: all of that. He only first that he would die. So yeah. one of the things I wanted to have at the end of this episode was his farewell to Ordreth, and him telling Ordreth, you are the type of leader that our people need. Kind of like what Fingolfin was doing setting finger up to be mm-hmm. his successor. To be his heir, yeah. Finrod just kind of doing that with Oradreth. It might be a little more rushed than what right. Fingolfin was doing because Fingolfin was doing it over an entire season and Finrod has one episode from learning that, yep, this is the time when your doom is coming upon you to actually leaving to go go off and eventually get killed.
4: Mm-hmm. Right. The the Oradreth is... Perhaps not the leader that the people of Nargothron deserve, but he is the leader they need. And the fall of Nargothron will indeed be good to have been. Right. Right. Is um, this
0: um, is this an act of fatalism? Like, well, I have to do it. This is an oath, or is this like an act of faith? That's it's, to me a big question here. And I, it, yeah, I. It sounds to me, Rhiannon, like like your position is it's an act of faith, like, especially with sort of the like, hey, oradreth you got this, buddy. Like, right. things will be fine. <laughs> I think Finrad is a character who is always full of faith. He is one of yeah. the
3: people who most trust in the Valar in Eru's grand plan. And we see that in like the athrobath or other conversations that he's had. So I think anything yes. Finrod does is an act of faith even if it on the surface may appear fatalistic it comes from a deeper faith within kind of the old hope that he talks about right or that Achadeth talks about and he learns about yeah.
2: yeah the the deal with yeah but the deal with finrod is he's definitely much more of a philosopher than most of the other characters we're mm-hmm. dealing with mm-hmm. like no one is going to accuse thingle of being a philosopher right i mean he just is a very reactionary type of person he yes. gets mad and yells at people is <laughs> yes. how he goes through his life and he he doesn't stop and think through what are the consequences and the ramifications and what will happen down the line which is how naming the silmaril for the quest happened in the first place he didn't think it through mm-hmm. mm-hmm. finrod does think it through he's right. someone who has that very philosophical outlook of what is the meaning of this what is the purpose of all of this where are we all going where have we all come from you know he's pondering all these things his whole life and very much reaches out to people and gives them a chance right his friendship with the dwarves his friendship with inviting the fanorians into nargothrond in the first place is the let me give these people a chance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the fall of nargothrond when oradrath extend that same kind of welcome to Turin of like, hey, let's bring you into our, our place and give you a chance. It's not like Ordreth was a terrible leader and let, and destroyed the kingdom mm-hmm. and Finrod never should have left that guy in charge. It's not right. really quite like that. Right. Definitely Ordreth's a weaker leader Yes, and doesn't have the same force of personality that Finrod did, so he wouldn't be able to guide the whole people in a direction the way finrod could but yeah. it's not like finrod just doomed his whole people in this one moment they yeah. were all doomed when they crossed the hell like, he so like <laughs> right. exactly
1: let's not sugarcoat made, this yeah, yeah yeah
2: he made the he made nargothrond as a place of safety or is just gonna lean into the place of safety it's gonna be turned he's like no we should totally build that bridge you guys
1: and because of course, there, there's going to yeah, and there's going to be some 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 uh, some irony in the fact that in taking Turin in and trusting Turin the way that he does, he's actually like continuing and extending Finrod's own policy of friendship with humans, right? And yes, that's exactly, that's what is ultimately going to lead to the downfall of Nargothrond, right? Kind of, uh, kind of, you know, ironically in some ways, but yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. so. so to kind of return briefly to the idea of, you know, does Finrod have a choice in the matter? I, I think that we can kind of have our cake and eat it too a little bit here, mm-hmm. in that it starts out as Finrod saying, Well, I'm bound by my oath. You have to, like, like just knowing that you haven't come and asked me for help, it doesn't matter if you then retract the request. I. I'm honor bound to help you. Mm -hmm. And then further down, Baron offers to release him from his oath, which is a big deal. Would be a big deal. Right? Here's a a favor owed to you and your descendants in perpetuity by one of the greatest elf lords on the planet. Yeah. Like, that's not something you give up lightly. Right. And so, that Baron is willing to do that, A, gives him some agency. In yes. The, in the episode, um, but B and, gives Finrod the opportunity to yeah. then actually make a decision,
1: right? And if Finrod refuses that, <clears throat> then nothing has changed. Like it doesn't alter right. the story in any way. It just right. it just provides that moment of. To, to to spell out both of that, and so it's it's hard. Like the and fa- gives agency to both of them. Give agency, to uh, yeah. Now, of course, yeah. the the let's strip everybody of agency and lean into the fatalism side. Like there are ways in which that's an attractive story. I like Tolkien. Kind of liked stories like that. I mean, that's kind of one of the reasons why he arranges this this way. I think. Yes. Um, but uh, but I I. I I think I think we can kind of do both. like we can still show those conflicts, and there will be a way in which we can kind of take that what what could simply be fatalism, right? I mean, like Finrod's response could be I mean like if you think about thus are we all ensnared, right? Um, that could mean. So basically, everybody's screwed and everything sucks, right? Like, that's that's one way to read it. Like, that's, that's one possible reaction to it. But that's not Finrod's reaction to it, right? Finrod's response is instead, um, you know, Dave, as you were saying, one of faith, right? Instead, he's going to take the Estelle approach, uh, you know, the, the Estelle view on this entire thing, and say, okay, um, no, let's not, let's, not, let's not back down from this. I mean, there's almost an element of, like... I shall take your need as a sign, right? That, like, this is what I'm supposed to do, right? Um, I, like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you don't want to push it. It doesn't matter if you don't want, um, uh, you know, it's like the fact that you have this, I cannot turn away from that. Um, I shouldn't turn away from that. I, I am supposed to have, it is, it, it has been, it has been, that is the path that is laid before me. Um, it doesn't seem like a good idea, It looks like really horrible things are going to happen as a consequence, and I'm almost certainly going to die, but I'm doing it anyway, because I think that that's the right thing to do.
2: Yeah, and it it comes back to Gandalf's point of view of Frodo was meant to have the ring. Yeah. Right? And Bilbo was meant to find it. And, yeah, Vinrod definitely thinks that when Baron comes and gives him the request, yeah, this is what's meant to happen. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to do this. Yeah so if he were to back off at this point so you know if baron says oh uh, my bad i wasn't trying to create <laughs> right. this whole thing yeah. um i'll just release you forget the oath ever happened we're cool i'll figure out my own issues right if baron were to say all of that Finron has the opportunity to be like no this is what needs to happen and i need to do that thing because this is the correct thing to do so yeah i think i think it would be best to give finrod the opportunity to voice some of what he is thinking yeah and articulate why he feels he needs to make this choice
1: yeah
0: does does he have um does he have like a a glimpse of the ultimate end here does he kind of see like maybe maybe he maybe he has like some awareness of the long game like well yeah sure this is going to turn out bad for me and probably a lot of other people around me, but like does he have some some notion that like we're on the path to salvation, this is the only way it happens?
3: I think he has already, and that was the vision that he had while right. he was with Galadriel back in, I believe it was season 4, where he says something about uh, he will not take a wife, his kingdom will not long endure. It, it was something mm. like that, I don't remember yes. the exact wording, but he basically okay. saw this already, and having him repeat that or say the same thing in different words would be a callback to it so that viewers who are paying attention will remember, Oh yeah, that was what he had the vision about. So now it's coming
1: in play. Right. But you know, there's, there's, I just realized a really cool thing here. Um, When he has that picture, it's a negative one, right? Like the, 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 Foresight that he has for his life and his kingdom is all bad, right? It's like I'm never gonna I'm never gonna love again and get married. I'm gonna die pretty soon, and my kingdom's gonna collapse. Okay, there we go. That's what's that's 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 the plan moving forward, right? That's the sense that he has. But there's no sense that he sees like what good will come from that.
2: Like, yeah, where's his hope in all of this? Yeah, us? exactly. And that's what it gets. Now that he sees it, he gets to have that moment of. Baron and
1: Luthien. Uh, this
2: this is what I need to be doing this for. Yes. It's so that Baron and Luthien have a chance. I always They're knew
1: I was going to die. I always knew yeah. I <laughs> I always knew I knew was going to die alone. I always knew my kingdom was going to collapse. Now I see what is the thing that is going to make that worthwhile. Like right? that is going to mm-hmm. be a... Com- I, now I'm seeing finally, like he'd be happy. Ironically, this would be a relief to him. Because he w- he's now seeing like the thi- all, all, all he had was the grim prediction of the of the of the bad facts right, and now he's like, oh, so I'm gonna die or I'm gonna die alone, and my kingdom is gonna collapse. In order to help you and it's almost Luthien, like an
0: answer to a riddle.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I I think that that's um, so nice. uh, this, this
0: is. Yeah. Like, it's like kind of a, are you feeling better, Corey? I am.
1: I'm feeling better. Yeah. I'm feeling like better. The, uh, I'm liking this. And of course, oh, yeah, so, no, n- n- Nick, go ahead. Sorry.
4: I was just going to say, I like the comment from Honorian that Finrod holds up one finger for Tony Stark to see. It's essentially <laughs> that. It's essentially the moment where it becomes clear what the thing is.
2: Right? Yeah. 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 The thing with the Silurilian is there's a lot of grim parts of the story, right? Yeah, I mean, I was, we're going to get to the turn season at some point, and we're going to have to deal with that. But the Baron and Luthian season is where you don't have to deal with the really grim stuff, unmitigated by anything else. Yeah, where hope, hope is to, born. Yeah, you get to really broadcast the hope part. Yeah, and and get through the grim stuff because you see what it's for. And, yes, and I think that that's. An important season-long theme that needs
1: to be coming out in this. Yeah, episode. yeah. No, I love that. I mean, even even the narrator in the Silmarillion said. Remember when when Finrod delivers that line to Goadriel about not you know loving in his kingdom, kind of do nothing. Um, I'm trying to remember the word. Is it like uh, he says? You know, it like uh, such like cold counsel had never come to him before. Like. When she's,
2: she's surprised by his words because she's never heard him talk like that before.
1: Yeah, so. and th- th- there's a reference, like, basically it's it's emphasized that it's not like he's just a pessimistic person, right, who's always yeah. been like, I'm probably going to die, my is going to come to nothing. Like, this is new, right? This is a new revelation mm-hmm. from him and even to him in that moment. And for now, for him to be able to kind of process, um, to be able to process that, um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's... Um, I, I I really like that. And I really like how, it, you know, Rihanna and I saw that you were working um, Andreth uh, and Ignor into a sort of the, the memory of that uh, at various points into the episode. And I really like that as well. Uh, and, of course, the danger the danger here is there's a certain danger in connecting... in, in how we connect that, right? Because obviously we don't want to make it look like... Finrod is remembering his friend Andreth and being like, well, you know, gosh, like, that didn't work out and that was sad, so I hope maybe this can work. Like, basically, we don't want to make it feel like he's feeling guilty or something, right? Like, Andreth couldn't be happy, so maybe I'll do this, and, you know, to make up for it or whatever. Um, but, um, so it's not like that exactly. But the, for him to see, I mean, again, I'm, I think of the um, uh, the. The image from the Athrobeth, which sticks with me most powerfully um, and was brought out really well in our Athrobeth episode, is that that image of the two hands reaching out across the darkness, right across the void. Um, and for him to now follow that up, right? All those revelations, all those new understandings that Finrod gained from his conversation with Andreth and his experience of Aignor and Andreth's. Ultimately doomed love, um, and now, like he sees, like in Baron and Luthian he realizes it's possible. Like you can reach across. That was indeterminate at the end of the Athrobeth, right? He didn't know if you know uh, if it was really possible for that. To, he hoped that it was possible. He was, to his extent, extending his own hand, right? In friendship. Go ahead, sorry. sorry. No, no, no. That's that, that was me. Sorry.
3: Didn't he also say something about, uh, I don't remember if it was, was in our episode or not, if I'm just remembering it from the direct text of the athrobath, but I think he says something about it shall only happen for like a high purpose of fate or, or something like that. Like if this does happen, it will only be because of the grand plan and something very important beyond simple people falling in love. It's about the fate of the
1: world. I remember something like that too uh, from the Athrobeth. I, d- I also don't remember for sure if uh, we had included it in the episode, but um, but yeah, I, no. So I just if all of this crystallizes together in Finrod's head, you know, if he realizes this is the moment, like Beren and Luthien, this is it. Beren and Luthien are it. Beren and Luthien are the hope for bridging this this gulf. There is this is a part of the plan, right? And of course, here I'm thinking about. The distant echoes of this, um, you know, when we're talking about the line of Luthien, right? Never shall that line fail, right? Um, that we get in the Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, th- you know, it's like a, it's like an anticipation of you know the hope shall be born for our people line, you know, uh, with 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 Gil Ryan, uh, you know, or surrounding Gil Ryan. Um, anyway. It's, it's, uh, I, I love this. I mean, I think that that's a really beautiful way to, to kind of shape this. Um, to have the destiny stuff there. I mean, but to not back away from that. But in a sense, instead of making Finrod feel fatalistic in the sense of like giving up, right? Like, it doesn't matter what any of us choose we're all screwed, everybody's trapped um, instead the result is he's ultimately, it's like, it's like he's being guided by this right, like it's um, what is in motion cannot be avoided, and what is in motion is Baron and Luthien, right, Baron and Luthien coming, Baron and Luthien coming together which means under the circumstances Baron's quest Right, and so if he were to die in helping Baron in his quest, that would be a good reason to die, um, and would even be connected back and connected back to to Andreth. As I said, Rihanna it was one of the things I, I enjoyed most about um, the 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 draft was the the callbacks, the the memories back to Andreth and the way that that you were showing how Finrod's involvement does kind of superimpose the memory of Andreth and Ignor onto Baron and Luthien, which I think is really, really important and adds a, a, a really cool dimension. It's one of the fun things about doing this from a post-Athrobeth perspective, right? Which, like, the version, the Baron and Luthien story never gets this dimension added to it explicitly because the Athrobeth was written so much later, right? But now when we, when we can kind of... When we can do that in the order... Like, it will have happened first, right? It's, you know, it will very much... And especially for Finrod, goodness, right? There is no way he would not be thinking about Andreth and his brother when um, he's having this conversation with Baron. Like, how could he possibly escape making that connection even if he wanted to? And so the way um, that you were working to overlay those two things, I I think that's brilliant. I just just love that element uh, of this. And I think... um, it makes Finrod's involvement in this whole sequence really, really crucial, you know, really, really pivotal, really powerful um, uh, in that way. So I thought that was pretty fun. So
3: I'm, I'm glad to hear that. The afterbath is probably one of my favorite things that Tolkien wrote. So oh, man. I'm putting yeah. that in there whenever I have the chance. It's not in the outline the script team put together. I'm like... And add a mention of Yes.
1: Here. Yeah. There's, no, I hear <laughs> that. Especially since, you know, Finrod's dying soon. So we're running out of uh, free chances yeah. to bring up the
3: episode. Exactly. Anthropoc- I realize there are so many people in this episode that he talks to for the last time.
1: Yes. So one yes. of the things
3: we wanted to do was make sure that whatever he says to them is a good final word to have said to them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, that you're right. There is a lot of weight. On uh, a lot of those things in this episode, because yeah, he is saying goodbye to everybody but Baron and the Ten at this point. Um, yeah, um, okay. So let's talk about the Fenorian side. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, I was really interested in this element. Um, again, this is another thing that was is challenging to, again, in the text we just get, like, and Kurafin was standing right there and steps forward and says, you know, I mean, the whole thing happens in, like, one scene. Right? Um, and one thing I wanted explained, maybe? One thing I wanted help with was understanding Kel Gorman-Kurafin's Position. So here, here was here was my problem. My problem was that it seems to me that the two we had Kelgorman Kudriffin having two separate plans basically. Right. There's the hey son of Bari here, who to whom Finrod is oath bound is here. Let's capitalize on that situation if we can. That seemed like a very Kudriffin idea. I really liked that concept. And then oh, Baron is going after the Silmaril, let's now capitalize on that situation, right? And ultimately, um, at least quasi-usurp Nargothrond uh, in this moment. Um, But it felt to me, and maybe I was just, there's some things that I wasn't processing through properly, but it seemed to me that what they were actually proposing were a little bit in conflict with each other.
2: Right. So the place where we left off Calagorm and Carifin, in episode three mm-hmm. is that they're trying to retake Tulsirian.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And their proposal was to put troops in Brethel. Right. To, as a staging area in order to do that. And they were a little bit heavy-handed about doing this. They obviously didn't talk to the people in Brethel. They were starting to just kind of move troops around without talking to Finrod and it it became a conflict of who's in charge here and there were some little public debates about it and at the end of the day the Feanorians lost in the nobody in Nargothrond was all that keen on putting troops in Brethel without the permission of the men of Brethel so that's that's where they left off that's the last time we saw them Mm -hmm. so when we open and they're like cool and in with Finrod this is for them to gain political capital, right? To be able to put their ideas forward and win. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where they're starting with. Right. They do switch gears as soon as the Silmaril comes up because that supersedes all their plans. Sure. Retaking Tulsarian is nothing compared to who gets to have a Silmaril in their minds. So we're seeing them drop their plans and, and go in a different direction to show how much the oath shapes their actions as well. Yeah. All of their buildup here of let's take over Nargothron, let's consolidate our power, let's have a plan to get Tulsirian, is like, oh, heck no. <laughs> um, yeah. Y'all better stay locked in your cavern forever. You're all going to die and nobody gets a silver girl Yeah. Totally different direction.
1: Yeah, because it was. And here, of course, we're, I mean, I can see we're following... The text which says that speeches, yeah, yeah, the the tack that they're taking, you know, in um, uh, in their argument against Finrod's departure is to make them fear the people of Nargothrond, fear for their safety, and shut themselves in more, and that Finrod is leading them out to, to, which is which seems to me a little rich in somebody who is like, let's attack, let's attack, let's attack, except no, wait oh no going out is really is really is really, it, 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 that that was a big shift but the the size of the shift it does successfully demonstrate like okay different game completely now that a silmaril is being evoked um, but but it it made like why does anybody f- agree with them you know, when it's, everybody knows that they've been, like, the whole direction they've been going is outward, 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 let's attack. Um, and now all of a sudden they're like, no, let's adopt a 100% isolationist policy. Like, it's kind of hard to imagine how, why Kura Finn would argue that at all, apart from the fact that he does in the text. <laughs> that is. Right. Well, I
3: think that what we could do is have him explain this more. After the speech, like the speech is kind of a spur of the moment thing. Mm-hmm. There isn't much time that passes between them learning that Beren is going after a Silmaril and delivering their big speeches to all the people of Nargothrond. And mm-hmm. one of the things that the book mentions is that they kind of wanted to take over all of the other elephant kingdoms before they go after the Silmarils. And... Some film we've made, Corfin always kind of be gunning for that high king position for himself. Mm -hmm. So this could be his attempt to basically become king of everything kind of by taking over one piece at a time. And I don't think he really has this idea until the film rolls everyone up and he kind of spur of the moment says, let's not all rush off to our deaths. And another thing is that his speech can focus more on how foolish it is to follow the specific mortal and this specific quest, and how Finrod and his ten people—they're going to their deaths—or Finrod and anyone who follows him—they're all going to their deaths because this guy won't have the support of the Fenorians because only they can get a Silmaril.
4: Yeah, yeah. So, so all of that is is definitely in there. Another thing to remember is that the last time that Curufin made a a big. Push to get the people of Nardakron on board with an with an offensive a preparation for an offensive. It failed, right? So it's possible that he's reading the terrain here. And now, of course, he can pass this off of as we were talking about a well-executed plan with a staging area and getting our troops as close as possible to you know to Tulsirian without them being in in, you know in danger of being harried the whole way there you're talking about a suicide mission to angband Mm -hmm. that's not the same thing and a suicide mission for something that isn't yours that's not yours to take What, what what how entitled are you that you think that it's okay for you to just go and take our stuff yeah sure Morgoth stole it first but right right just because you're stealing from the thief doesn't mean that you aren't also stealing.
1: Right, right, and so the the way that the conversation between Baron and gorman Kudrufin was framed in the script the the first conversation with him, right, when he's first you know admitting the Angband plan, right, um, but omitting the Silmaril element of that, right. Um, I really liked how that conversation went. Right, how he's like, I got to go to Angband, and and Kurufin is like, oh yeah, somebody you know is kept prisoner there. Totally feel you, man. Like that's mm, that's that hard. That's hard, right? <clears throat> um, and uh, uh, which is also, of course, a nice reminder that like his wife is still there, right? right. Um, uh, even it's nice though it's touch. it's been a while. Um, but then, and then Baron being like, no, 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 it's not a prisoner thing. I just need. I just. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm just going to. I, I just feel the need to attack angband i i just it's what i do um uh, <laughs> you know and 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 they're like o- okay that's crazy um and they they try to they like try to reason with him they're like love the enthusiasm right <laughs> that's cra- that's great but um not a good plan uh right away like we've you know the entire strength of the elven kingdoms have not been able to do that but um but good. So good, good long term goal. Um, but let's and, and the way that that seemed to set up that plan, you know, the let's consolidate um, the elven realms under a good high king, namely me, uh, and then do this, especially, of course, wanting to set up what's going to happen in the next episode when suddenly Luthien falls into their lap and he's like, ah, Um you know, I had you know, I had a plan. I was, I was, you know, we, we've been moving forward this plan to consolidate the Noldor kingdoms under our rule. But Doriath was always going to be a problem, right? How we, how we, how are we going to be able to 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 influence or rule over Doriath? Well, look at this. You know, ask and you shall receive. Here we go. Now we have an angle. Um, but uh, so I, 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 I really like how that sort of potentially sets it up um
3: we need to make the shift in plan stated more directly than it is to help that come across to the audience because it's something that we weren't all entirely conscious of because we had come up the script had come up with this idea of having a and kurvin trying to retake minas tirith yeah. kind of as our own element to the story without fully thinking through how that would be impacted by the fact that we kind of do need to stick to the text with why there convincing the people of Nargothrond not to fight because of how much that impacts other stories later on. But now yeah. we have to kind of undo what we were doing with that by having them change their plans, but we can still tell a story and that's just the story of them changing plans.
1: Yeah, and it, and and I would ideally it's a change of tactic, but not necessarily a change of overall plan, right? As I think what it needs to... Um, it came across, and again, partly this is coming across in the outline, right? I mean, this was the, this was the, the, the Kurfin speeches and everything were all in the, um, uh, the, the unfinished part of the script, so it's not, it's not quite, it's not, it's not quite the same. But, uh, but in any case, like yeah. from the, from the bullet point list, it, it kind of, it kind of suggested not just a change in tactic, but um, like, uh, oh, did we say attack? No, 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 we meant. Pure isolation, isolationism. No, that's that, that's really what we've meant all along. And again, I just, I. It's hard to like. I'm sure he's extremely. We're told he's really persuasive, right, and really charismatic. But, but come on. I mean, like when he does is doing an about face like that. Again, the about face that he would do, some kind of an about face, is good to show the the effect of the oath on him. But it, that doesn't increase his credibility to the populace. It just makes the rest of the people of Nargothrond look like morons, you know, that they're going to have started following him in the one direction and then be like, oh, no, you're right. Let's go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. Well,
3: we weren't following him in the first direction. That was kind of the result of their big public debates was that the majority of the people in Nargothrond didn't want to go attack and retake Minas Tirith. That was just... Yeah. the Pelagorm and Kurfin and it their followers.
4: Not yeah. even that. They didn't just not want to go and retake Minas Tirith. They didn't want to even go forward with Khorifin's like first stage right. of the plan. Right. right. And so what we had talked about when we were discussing this episode is is to make sure that that Khorifin uses the The way that the people, like the the existing attitude of the people, Mm -hmm. right, to um, to kind of explain this kind of shift. Yeah. Um, But I think that making it more explicit, as far as his, um, you know, we're not ready. He can even cite or address from the first time that they had this conversation back in episode three. Right, in order to uh, to to support his case, and now Orridge at the state and they're like, "Oh man, they, like they did it again. They did it to me again." Right, you know? Um, yeah. You want an isolationist <laughs> policy? I'll give you an isolationist <laughs> policy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, now um, he they, and he can say, you know, he can be very conciliatory. He can say, "Look, we're." All about taking the fight to Morgoth. We're we're with you on that, but it just isn't time yet. We're yes. not ready. Yeah, you if said we, this yourselves.
0: If they
1: if they characterize basically to say it's not about do we attack or do we not attack, right? Because they've been saying right. we should attack. So he's not changing his mind about that. Right. But that's not what it's about, right? That's not, what Finrod, that's, not, that's, that's not what Finrod is proposing. Right. Finrod is proposing invading Angband, right? And so it's not going to be that hard to make that sound like a really stupid plan, right? right. As just exactly following in lines, Rihanna, of the scene that you did write with Baron and and, and Gorman-Curfinn earlier, right? right? Where they're like, okay, little human friend, like, we're invading Angband. This is a, you know... You're probably not even old enough to realize what a stupid idea that is. Like, you know, um, and um, but basically we when-
4: have no track record when it comes to offensive battles against fortifications. They've yes. pretty good at defending fortifications. Yes. Not some of them. one time. Do they at like and. There's this sense even in the near night that they didn't bring a single siege engine to that <laughs> yes. fight. Which just seems bananas. What on yeah. earth could they possibly have been thinking? Oh, we'll just run up and bang on the doors and it'll just they'll just open like for us. That's well how that's
3: gonna work. it did work for Fingolfin because Morgoth actually came up and fought him. So maybe they're hoping to do that there again. There's a track record
4: of knocking lost, on the door. Knocking on
2: the
3: enough
1: they'll come out. <laughs> that's right. That's right. He's come out uh, 50% of the time you've knocked on the doors. So yeah, There um, you go. <laughs> that's that's reasonable odds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. So if we if we if we focus it on that so that um in a sense then the concu- so, one of the things that is most important for future story, right, as an outcome of this whole incident, right, Finrod's leaving and Calgorm and Kurafin's speeches, right, is that from this point on, the Nargothrondrim are, like, determined on isolationism and hiding, right, that the- and that that will be so until the time of Turin. Um, that's the consequence of these speeches. That doesn't necessarily mean that that itself has to be what Kurfin is advocating, right? Like, let us become, you know, isolationist pacifists. It doesn't have to be his argument. Instead, he can say, like, look at the path that Finrod is suggesting. Finrod's, what Finrod is suggesting is madness, He's suggesting invading Angband right now. Like, we've the whole continent is still trying to recover from that last battle. We don't have defenses anymore. Tulsarian has gone orcs can come pouring down. And then instead of trying to, like, and here we've been arguing, like, can we try some, like, logical and strategic steps to, like, try to rebuild our defenses? But no, no, we're going to go right past that, right? We're just going to go bloody invading Angband, right? Um, uh, and and so like so yeah so that's that's a really so Finrod is leading you to suicide and death
4: right which
1: is not a hard argument to make when
4: he's and, and, and we know how insane it is our brother's been there our brother was chained to yeah. the wall yeah <laughs> exactly
1: um,
2: not, not too many prisoners out of but...
1: right exactly exactly so um, uh, then um, so. It's not it's, also, uh, it's, it's not that he's uh, advocating isolationism, but that would be their logical, like, yeah, you're right, we're not going to do that, and so therefore we're not going to do anything. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry.
0: I was just going to say, it's also, it's. I mean, basically, <clears throat> the minute Fay and Orion stand up and start saying, um, uh, if you try to go after Silmaril's, really bad stuff will probably happen to you not least of which because we might do it to you. Yes, um, yes. I, I guess it's understandable that people might be like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with any of this. Right, right. Yeah, that, I mean, it's fair enough. It's like, so the plan proposed is uh, is go attack Morgoth directly uh, without any kind of really mer- military might, a thing that's never worked previously and certainly seems like it won't work now and best case scenario, we'll come out with a Somerili, someril, and then that guy right over there will probably, um, uh, um, you know, burn the kingdom down to get it from us. And I suppose, like, maybe a reasonable conclusion is this is not something we should be involved in.
1: Right, right. Yeah, yeah let's, not, let's not go there at all. Yeah, because actually, this is the other cool thing about citing the oath, right? You'd think like one perspective on this might be like if if Kurfin is saying, look, if you bring a Silmaril back, you're causing civil war, and it'll be your fault, right? On the one hand, like that could be like, well, dude, aren't you the one who would be attacking him? And so, doesn't that kind of make it your fault that we would be in civil war? But no, no, to... no.
4: You made you made them do it. It's it's like if yeah. if you know when the police officer says, put your hands up, you don't put your hands up, and he shoots you. It's your fault. It's your fault.
1: Yes, and 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 this is for the for the for the uh, Feanorians. It's even like by restating the oath, he's like, let me explain to you again how gravity works, people. Right? Okay. Yeah. Like the Silmarils are ours. You bring home a Silmaril, you've caused a civil war. I. What are we supposed to do, right? Is the you know We're supposed to not fulfill what we yeah. have sworn? Like, this is. And do you to know do? this? And I'm going to remind you of it right now. Right. And, and so, I, 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 a little I bad cop, good cop going
2: on, there, which <laughs> I like. Right, and that's yeah. the whole thing is that Kelloggarm and Kerfing give very different speeches. Yes. So Kelloggarm starts it off with the oath. And don't you dare name the Silmaril, because bad things will happen to you yeah. like me. Um, right. right so <laughs> Bad so things will happen to you
1: and he is standing right in front of you. <laughs> and, yeah. So
2: so it's it's a very reactionary thing, but also reminding everyone of oh yeah, right. Do we really we don't really want anything to do with that? Right. And then Kerfin's like, Okay, so let's break down the plan. Attacking a band right. for the fun of it. That sounds dumb.
1: <laughs> really bad plan. <laughs> yeah
2: could we maybe you know have a plan any plan something that has a future and a path forward and all those right. things you usually think of when you think of the word plan yeah. so after kerifen breaks it down he's going to sound very reasonable yeah but everyone he's talking to just heard kellogarm's speech so that yeah the conclusion of Yeah, let's um, lock the doors and never go out again.
1: Let's not, yeah, let's just avoid the heck out of this whole thing, yeah.
2: Is a reaction to both speeches together. Yeah. Even though neither of them individually said, you should be pacifist.
1: Right, 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 exactly. That they, so effective are they in laying out the fact that, like, of the world of pain that will come from following Finrod. Because, I mean, it's true, like, in the short term. It's going to lead to suffering and inescapable death because it's invading Angband is a terrible idea. In the long term, like the best case scenario is you win and then by winning, bring about civil war among all the elves, right? Like that's the and, best case scenario, right? And more pain and inescapable death. And more death. pain and inescapable death. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so. it's all,
0: and also, and that's also, it's like, I suppose like the, the fall to that is like, so wait, who's this guy again? And why
1: does he want a Silmaril? Why yeah, would we he help him? Exactly. Right. So, yeah. So this is... Uh, um, and then, yeah. And then Finrod has to stand by him. Right? Um, you could easily see the crowd turning against Baron, Dave. You're absolutely right. Right? Like, okay. So there is a problem here. And this guy is the problem. Like, we didn't have a problem until this guy came and is like, I've got a hanker in for a Silmaril. Right? Um, but now he has. And he's caused all this trouble. So let's just kick him out. And then everybody's happy again. But Finrod's like, nope, no. can't, won't. Um, and that's when, therefore, like, so basically, Actually, that would be a really cool way to lever it, wouldn't it, Dave? Um, to lever the kicking out of Finrod, being like, we're gonna, we're, we're, kicking Baron out, right? We're, we're gonna get rid of Baron. He's the problem. And Finrod is like, then you have to get rid of me too, because I am sticking with him. Um, I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah and 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 you one could one could easily imagine like um uh average uh average Nargothrondian, uh, citizen on the street just being like what? Okay. You don't have to get out like to hell with you. Too. Like, <laughs> right. Our King just said that they, that uh, he would rather go off with this random person who just showed up and help him uh, invade Angband and steal the, um, the Fanornium brother Silmarill and, and incite all this violence rather than stay here and, and be the King and take care of us. So you yes. Know what? Like, our King has
1: retired yet. to crazy town and yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: it kind
1: of sounds like he's going nuts it does and and Coriffin
4: can absolutely bring up the like Dave when you were saying at the beginning how it's kind of irresponsible what Finn is doing Coriffin can point that out yeah Yeah. what responsible king which is also a dig at Fingolfin um, right what responsible king would throw themselves into such a scenario? Does Finrod think that our cause is so doomed to failure that it's not even worth living? Because mm-hmm. that's kind of what it seems like he's thinking. Is
1: he is he lining up to commit suicide by Morgoth here and bring all of us, all of us with him? Yeah. Yeah. Yep.
3: So I'm imagining this almost like a political advertisement, where it's like, <laughs> Yes. Finrod wants to go on doomed quest to find yes. Silmaril. Right. Finrod supports mortals even when they have bad ideas. <laughs> Finrod swears oaths that will take him away from his responsibility to his kingdom. Vote for Kurfin today.
0: <laughs> yes. Yes, there
1: is so- yeah, in grainy black like, and white images of finrod with making embarrassing facial expressions yes exactly yeah yeah, yeah. this message is has been brought to you
4: really by, by the sea bros for a safer valerian <laughs> that's, it. <laughs> yes. that's it
2: um and another thing is the oath mm-hmm. mentions mortals even though it was sworn in valinor before they encountered any humans yeah so feanor never met a human being because they didn't weren't alive at the same time but the oath specifically says yeah they don't get to have some more mortal either. yet unborn yeah yeah Mortal born is one of the groups they, called out of people who can't have a summer proactively so,
1: closed that loophole <laughs> yes
2: yeah right so I, I think that the who's this guy I think he is to claim a silver there's a direct reference in the oath to that yeah and that's what they they can lean into of like look this was decided Five hundred years ago, I don't know why you think you can just show up now and change the yes. rules. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think they can make it look like not only are Baron and Finrod being unreasonable and making terrible decisions, but that they're upsetting the way things are supposed to be, and therefore nothing good will come of this. Yes. Yes.
4: Yes. All end in tears. I just know it. <laughs>
1: Yes, and okay. Now this okay. This is making me feel much better uh, about that. I think this is this is a a good way to sort of resolve that. And to it and and it, it really it really plays out, Rhiannon, much more clearly. The seeds oh. that are planted in the Baron and Kel Gorman conversation oh. at the beginning, um, uh, like unbeknownst to any of them, he is giving them the ammunition for their speeches later on. Uh, in how you know. So yeah. Uh, So it is a new idea. They are being spontaneous. But in some ways, the, like, Baron is a probably insane mortal who wants to go commit suicide in Angband is already a a thought they they had had, right, about him. And so to be able to then use that and then, you know, twist that against
4: Finrod himself. And let's be real. Does anybody seriously think that Baron... Could have walked up to Angband and gotten in and gotten a simril ever without right. Luthien with him.
1: No, I mean the whole thing is insane. Uh, like,
4: yeah, I don't care if Finrod actually survives and get there gets there. I right. don't think that he makes it because first thing, Morgoth's not gonna let himself get get into a room with Finrod if he thinks that there's even the slightest chance right. that. He could be he could be overpowered and pleased under a sleep spell.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. There's there's um, that's I think would be the really fun thing about arrange organizing this scene. Right? Is that Kelgorm and like, is harsh, and his speech just rests upon the the, the oaths of Thanor. Like he's not going to win a whole lot of sympathy. Like you wouldn't just listen to Calgorm's speech and be it, it like, would be, it would oh, rattle a bunch of people. Oh, I mean, it'd freak people out. But it's yeah. not gonna, it's not gonna be like, oh, I'm on your side now. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's 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 go with the greedy, vengeful dude who's threatened to kill us all. Like, okay, um, like no, no But then Corfin comes in and his explanations, right? Like the cool thing is, I think that we can make, we can give Corfin a speech, which is not wrong in any point, right? I mean, he's completely. Correct in what he's because, as you say, like, it, it is totally insane uh, to 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 go to Angband. I mean, at the end of the day, what Baron is this was an execution, this was a protracted execution of Baron by Thingol, right? And so, at the end of the day, what it kind of boils down to is Baron approaching Finrod and saying, Hey, you want to. Join, want to get executed with me, right?
2: Yeah. <laughs> want... yeah. Who wants to come die? Let's go <laughs> Who
1: wants them. to come die with me? I'm being sent yeah. to my death. Anybody in, right?
4: Like yeah, you want to join me? I'm not
2: going to make it. to <laughs> There's no <laughs> way. Even, even let's say Finrod and the entire army of Nargothrond and the Feanorians. Let's say everybody who's there is like, yes, we're totally in with this plan for you know mind control reasons or something. Right. Then. They go to Angben and they all die. Like right. there still is no plan there. No, like there's no it's plan. Not, it's not like Baron getting Finrod's help meant okay, now I can do this. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, his odds of success have not changed significantly with the recruiting of Finrod. Um, but um, but yeah, no. I so so yes. Yeah, so like Kurafin and all Thingol has a or sorry not Thingol all Finrod has on his side. Right is. I am doing the right thing. Like basically, his his faith, right? His yeah. fa- his yeah. his Estelle. That like this clearly is what should be, and so therefore, and I don't know how it's going to work. It doesn't make any sense. Um,
0: but like very convincing, very convincing uh, public policy.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I I, um, I have a vague feeling that this is going to pay off in like a few millennia if we go this direction right like i mean it's you know that okay so likely uh, oh.
0: none of you will be here to see it
1: Right, right, exactly. I mean, like, but like, seriously, they're like because it is important that true love should prevail is a terrible reason to make national policy, <laughs> right? Like, it's not, it's not a good plan. Um, so, reason in true love, vote for Kourafin. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, could you imagine? Could you imagine the ads tar- like par- uh, parodying uh, that speech that Kourafin could make in his campaign?
0: yeah yeah should we go should, so <laughs> should we go so far as to uh, I was just talking about the idea of like suppose they actually so 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 obviously like the sort of more faithful to the text version is he abdicates. could we have them actually depose him? Well, that's where I
1: was thinking the whole if they I was I was kind of going halfway there basically. if they're gonna kick Baron out, Right, he's the problem. Let's kick him out and go back to like basically the the main reaction of all the people is like, can we go back to the day before yesterday and just pretend none of this ever happened? Right. Let's get rid of Baron and then we've solved our problem. Finrod then goes with him, so they're not exactly they're not exactly usurping him. They're not exactly taking him out, but they do make it clear like if you go with him, you know, you're you're like we're not coming with you. Like you we're are not you being are. King. You are abdicating. Should you, you. Should you walk Baron is walking out that door. If you walk out that door after him, you're not king anymore. Like you have abdicated when you do that. Um, uh, we don't have to spell it out, but we can make it pretty clear that they're, they're, they are not in support of this, that the, the political smear campaign that Kurifin runs in his one speech will be sufficiently effective that th- basically it, it, he'll be confirming everything Kurifin's said if he does that. Right?
2: Right. I, I think what we set up as the moment of decision is the the group consensus is Baron needs to go now. Yeah. And once that is voiced and people are like, Yes, definitely, that okay, yeah. finally, whew, we solved this and Finrod says, Then I'm going with him and yeah. he takes his crown off and throws it on the ground and falls Baron out. Yeah. And then everyone's like, Oh, oh, um like so I don't think we're deposing finrod and i don't think we're showing people calling for him to abdicate or anything yeah. like that but his action of choosing baron is like oh yeah he's done here and no one no one like 10 guys go with him but nobody else does because of everything and it just like you say it confirms that yeah um we didn't want any part of that yeah i don't know what that was all about but it had nothing to do yeah. with me mm-hmm. And, and that is the isolationism of Nargothrond. It had nothing to do with me. And
4: Anurian right. uh, reminded us a little bit earlier that we, you know, we had talked about how the people of Nargothrond have absolutely had it with Binron putting humans first mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, and making decisions
4: yes. based on what's best for human people, like. He first he brought in a few of them and it wasn't a big deal, but then they were everywhere and they weren't. That got awkward. Yeah, like it was really ugly and they were getting mad at us.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: For them not being good at stuff like like that's somehow our fault, <laughs> right? And right. So they they leave and then he spends a whole bunch of time out there with them and and just completely abandoning his own kingdom and now. He lets this guy in here and right. <coughs> is going to run off and wants us all to go. Now he's prioritizing
1: now. the insane quest of this one human over right. the entire kingdom. Right. And, yeah. and
4: our lives. He wants us to go out there and die. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. No, and if we have now, I see that uh, um, as uh, uh, the real-eyed Duckman is saying. The biggest danger in this story segment is to make it appear that Finrod gives up his position lightly. Right. Now, and that's where we have the conversations with Finrod and Beren, um, emphasizing that like he knows the weight of this, and he see that he sees this. He is sacri- he is sacrificing his life. Like he is knowingly sacrificing his life, and so when he finds himself in the position of having to sacrifice his life and first to sacrifice his crown, he will sacrifice his crown. Um, And for the same kind of reasons that we have seen before. If those reasons are set up earlier than when he does it, it's clear that it's not whimsical, but that it's part of this big, of this larger choice that he's already made, right? Um, He might not have anticipated that that was going to be folded into it, but when it becomes clear, he knows what he's going to do. He's not going to struggle or waver with that decision when it's, when it's ready to be made, um, so yes, the, the the casting down of the crown becomes. But he simple. should still
4: look like it weighs heavily on him. Oh, right? well, he
1: won't be happy. I'm but, sure. Well, no, 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 yeah. no, no.
4: But what I mean is, it's not like a I, "you can't fire me, I quit" moment. It's not right. like he's yeah. just like, "Well, that's it, bang." It's not like when right. Finway, yeah, yeah, yeah. essentially does that. Right, right, right. Um, You can't fire
1: me, I quit. (laughs) It's it's really apt, but but comical. Yes, yes. They're Um, trying to
3: impeach me, but I'm going to resign beforehand. Yeah,
1: yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, yeah. No, I think, um, um, yes, you're right that we we need to make sure it doesn't look like that, right? He, yes.
4: Do you want a leader like Richard Nixon? (laughs) right. (laughs) (laughs) Vote for Vote for Corifant.
1: Rihanna, I now really want to actually produce this series of, of, uh, of political commercials. Like, it, it needs to happen.
3: I, I can do that. I'll finish this episode, then I'll work on it. But actually, the debate team that I coach has been making all these ridiculous ads, like trying to get fictional perfect. characters elected to different offices and stuff. So I, I've got a team that can work on this. Per- Come over here. Perfect. Up with ideas.
1: Perfect. I would love to see the vote for Kurafin uh, The the vote the or the Go Fan Orion, uh ads. You know, like yeah. No, it's that's uh, excellent. It's excellent. Um.
3: Maybe we can have some Signum merch that says "Kurifin," <laughs> vote for Kurifin.
1: Kurifin for. Vote for Kurifin. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Hey, we could we could we could include some vote for Kurifin merch that nobody else would understand um, mm-hmm. <laughs> in our in our Signum store. I would totally get a vote for Kurifin pin, um, uh, and wear it ironically uh, when it's presidential election time. Um, uh, no, you can
2: you can go to vote, vote with your
3: coorfin. You people ask stickers. you who's coorfin, and you tell them all about how he'd be a much better choice what? than Finrod. <laughs> like who's Finrod?
1: Exactly. And then
3: you trick him into listening to you talk
2: about Tolkien.
1: That's right. That's right.
2: What, 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 what was that, Marie? I say you don't need a pin. You need a bumper sticker.
1: A bumper sticker. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Why not both? Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, vote for coorfin. Put a thing.
2: sign. Put it in my yard.
3: Coorfin.
1: Yeah, yeah.
4: Um, yeah. My, yeah, my, my, my very favorite the, uh, political election uh, sign has always been has been uh, uh, twenty six uh, giant meteor twenty sixteen. I was mm-hmm. I was a big fan of that one.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I like the fanor twenty twenty. burn it all down. That <laughs> right. says that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, oh, but
3: hey, if, if fanor is running in twenty twenty, he's probably not going to run again. So it's time for Corfin to step up. <laughs>
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. Um, okay. Uh, I think that's good. With the, I think those were my the biggest things I wanted to talk about with the Nargathron. Any, anything else with concerning the Nargathron plotline uh, that any of you guys Maybe wanted to raise?
3: Only, I think some of the ways in which it parallels the other plotlines, the Luthien story, which we can talk about as we talk about the Luthien story.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's go to the Luthien story. And now, Maria, I'm forgetting what's on our next slide. Oh, oh, this Luthien is the Nargothrond slide, which I should have had up the whole time, right? Oh, Good. I don't know Good. what slide you're on. Yeah, sorry, Nargothrond,
2: and then Luthien is on the next. Sorry.
1: Side. Okay. Yeah. Oh, well, my fault. I, for, I always forget to advance the slide. Okay. Um it's okay. Luthien's treehouse, which sounds like a. Uh, an afternoon the TV show targeted show? at ages yep. three to five. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Sometimes interspersed with those both. group I really dads. want
4: my daughter to be watching Luthien's Treehouse
2: now. Yes, yes. Um, so it's a little shift of um, mood here.
1: Yes, <laughs> yes. Well, and of course, like uh, comical because, of course, it's like a nightmare. Like it's the treehouse when when the giant tree out in your front yard decides to eat you and hold you prisoner like this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yes, a delightful oh, afternoon. Dear so, Lord. <laughs> You're so silly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's um it would be a dark dark children's show. But okay, all right. Um my question here so is the idea here that so Dyron. I'm thinking about. Dyron, we had decided that Dyron was not we weren't gonna make Dyron the bad guy. In the last, we talked about this a lot. We talked about episode four that we didn't right. want him to just kind of be the fink and then go away, right? Um, now we do have him tattling on Luthian here, right?
2: Yes, because we specifically didn't do that storyline before, yeah. We thought that this is the place for it because. You can only make that mistake once and say, oh, sorry, my bad. Essentially. So yeah. we're, we're giving this is his one time right. to, to right. think he's helping and then come to the conclusion, in fact, that did not help.
1: Right, right. Um, and I like how that sets up the decision we have him making later on, right? Um, mm. uh, the way in which, I mean, I like how Luthians. Um, Luthien's argument to him basically where he's like but you're in danger and she, you know you'll be in danger and she's like yeah <laughs> and <laughs> right like the the point is not to remain in perfect safety like this is what I am you know like I must do this despite the fact that it is going to put me into deadly danger and I know that full well right um, and so the way that that conversation can then set up Dairon's later choice to put himself in peril Right. Because, it, you know, it is the right thing to do out of his love for Luthien. Um, I, I, I like that and how that can work. Um, how we wanted to... But of course, the trick here is that Luthien's never going to see him again after she escapes from the treehouse. So I, I was... I was gathering from the way that this was being balanced that you wanted to achieve some kind of reconciliation between the two of them before she left. But it's hard because he's just betrayed her, right? Um right. Yeah. So that I can see being a tricky kind of scene to write um, in that way.
3: Part so, of why I haven't written it yet, <laughs> because <yeah>. I'm still <laughs> working on the ideas for it. Right. But yeah, that's kind of a change from what they originally had in Outline that I kind of wanted to bring in, because just thinking about all of Finrod's goodbyes, I kind of realized that this was Luth and Irons last time yes. speaking to each other. And yes. it's mentioned in the text that she does forgive him. So even if she doesn't yet forgive him like in her heart, I think right. that she should still say, I forgive you, you were only doing what you thought was best.
0: Mm -hmm.
3: Mm -hmm. And And Zairon will kind of take that to heart, realize that what he did, even though he thought it was best, was actually wrong. And now from here on, he wants to work to help Luthien as best he can. That's why he'll do stuff like the eagle for them.
2: So the idea is that in the beginning, as you point out, he was concerned about her safety so thingle is also someone who is very concerned about everyone's safety and that's been a kind of growing theme for him especially his daughter and so if that's the the one storyline then the other is or you can take risks in life and sometimes that's the right thing so so dairon is shifting his point of view there a little bit luthien will be given an opportunity to recognize that he regrets what he did right so we don't want her to forgive him before he expresses any kind of regret because like you said he just betrayed her like yeah oh that's okay is not the right response so we wanted her to have some anger and frustration towards him but he is coming to visit her her imprisonment and he gets to explain himself and say I'm so sorry. I had no idea this was going to happen. I was trying to look out for you. I had no idea your dad was going to stick you in a tree. Like, that wasn't the plan here. Right. So, when he basically says, I messed up. This wasn't where I thought it was going and I didn't realize what I had done. I'm not going to get involved in your business again. Like, Mm -hmm. how can I make this right? So, once he talks through some of that stuff with her, yes, yeah, she can be in a position to offer some forgiveness um, as long as the anger and frustration of why she thinks he shouldn't have done that comes out first. Yes. Yes. So, the, Yeah. Um, because, because she's like, why would you get involved in my family issues? Like, why did you go tell me dad? Like, what, what are you doing? Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So she still have that frustration. Um, but yeah, we're not, trying to end on a note of I now hate you forever never want to see you again Diron <laughs> like it's not that's not how we're trying to end that scene right
1: right um so in a sense backing up a step from that what was Luthien's plan was she gonna sneak out without telling her dad
3: that's actually- goes to oh, wait, where in the story are we talking about her plan Is it her before plan-
1: Diron reveals it Like, if Dairon hadn't revealed it, would she have just, like, left left a note (laughs) and taken off?
3: She was definitely telling Melian, because I have her working with Melian in the kitchen, packing their food. Yeah, Melian seems to be
1: complicit. That that was pretty clear from the start. She very much is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
3: I think she probably would have left without telling people and let Melian explain
1: it. <laughs> I really love that. That was actually one of my favorite things. Like, uh, okay, so people are bringing presents to um, Luthien in prison, right? Uh, some of various different practicality or, or use. What's Melian sending? <laughs> Travel rations. <laughs> That was fantastic. Just in case you need it, here's a backpack full of travel rations and and things that I, I mean, you maybe in prison for some reason you'll need this, right? Is and your of... angry
4: eyes, just in case, <laughs> right?
1: It just it just seemed it just seemed really. Uh, I, I just loved the way in which, like at the beginning, at the middle, and at the end. We see, Like, Melian knows full well exactly not only what is going to happen, but what should happen. Um, and she never opposes Thingol. She never speaks against Thingol. She, you know, in public, she never but, like, <laughs> she is totally aiding and abetting Luthien all the way through from one end to the next, I thought was, uh, was, was pretty funny.
2: It is, but it's also indicative of where their relationship has gone. Mm-hmm. That she's learned that speaking up to Thingle doesn't necessarily fix things because he's right. not great at listening to her. Right. So she's gotten to the point of just doing her own thing and being like, "Well, Thingle, figure it out." Um, yeah. So, and she trusts I
3: mean, Luthien enough to know that Luthien's going to get the message. Yeah. Why did I send you these travel rations? Oh, it's
2: because <laughs> you are going to escape.
1: Yes. Yes.
2: But but to, yeah, just the general idea that Millian is so mysterious and just doesn't quite always say what's on her mind probably has a lot to do with the fact that she's married to Thingle.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm
2: Like, yep. I don't know how much of that was innately Melian.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, no, That I mean, that makes sense. Um, it, it makes sense that she would... Um, yeah. I, she's not at a place in their marriage where she is, like, opposed to him. But Melian knows what's best to happen. He's not listening. Um... And again, she's not going to undermine him publicly. She never does that, right? Um, but is she going to even come to the point of almost acting against him privately? Which is what this almost comes to. Not quite, but almost comes to, right? Is, um, yeah, that feels right as a kind of balance there.
3: Yeah, I wanted to make sure that she was showing clearly that she was on Luthien's side while not directly going against Thingol. Like, Melian would not go set Luthien free free. down the tree. Luthien has to do that herself. But Melian will make it easier
1: for her. Right, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, No, I like that. I like that a lot. And then we have Dairon sees her, right? So we have Diron not only expressing remorse but reversing his previous action by seeing her escape and saying nothing about it, letting her go. Okay. I like that touch. Um, and that helps to, not only have, have will we have shown some kind of verbal re- reconciliation between Luthien and Diron before she leaves, but we can kind of help the viewer to be reconciled to Diron as well in showing his his different choice. I like that. Um,
2: and, and, and at this point, there is a gulf between them now, so he's aware of her actions and mm-hmm. he's allowing her to do her own thing without getting involved. He's not interfering. But yeah. he's not part of what she's doing anymore. Yeah. So it's not like she, she doesn't request or involve him in her plan. He's not her confidant any longer. So there has been a change in the relationship and a break in their friendship. Even if she forgives him, that reconciliation never restores what was there before. Right. Um, so we do see that distance at the end, but, but she expressed some forgiveness and he expresses some support. So they're right. in a good place, but apart.
1: Right. Right. By the way... If- when it came to it, I mean, we, this is one of those things, one of those ideas that we talked through before and I liked in principle, but kind of seeing it played out, that is, the sequence of Luthien convincing the tree to let her go, right, was 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 really kind of fun. And, and the way I totally agree with you that having that done through song definitely seems like the right thing. Um, and uh, yes, the way, like, how how Luthian interacts well really like how the tree responds like how we can see the response of the tree is uh um i think was 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 fun i liked how that was how that was constructed
3: yeah so i love to write the actual song for that and so the order and the arrangement of things might change slightly just yeah. based on what rhymes with what but that <laughs> was kind of i was writing down ideas and I had some ideas for lines and stuff, but I am not want to share those yet. I wanna get the full song written it, and then add it to the script.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah, I know that's great. That's great. Um, awesome. Well I know we're running low on time. What was our C plot can Uh oh yeah, uh, Diron and Kelgorman McCourford. Okay, good. So we, we pretty much covered those. Yep. Pretty much. Okay. Cool. Cool. Other, uh, other Luthien elements. Um, where are we on the, I mean, I know in, in one sense we are at like the Nadir of Finrod's, uh, Finrod. Why do I keep confusing Finrod and Thingol's names tonight? We're at kind of the Nadir of Thingol's character, right? Um, here, I, I've, this is pretty much his lowest point.
2: Until Never. he gets in a fight with some doors over a Silmarillo, yes.
1: Well, that's that's more of a local low but a significant one. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's the only other contention for that no point as well. It low is, as it as is,
1: as is gonna one. be yeah. gonna be um but 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 yeah, as far as... Because you know, we've been it's it's funny actually, like we've been playing the we can't make Finrod look like too much of a jerk too soon game for so long. That now that the time of his full jerkitude has arrived. (laughs) Thingol. Darn it. I said Finrod again, didn't I? What is wrong with me? We have been playing the let's not make Thingol look like too much of a jerk uh, too soon game for so long that now that it is time for his full jerkitude to, to come, it feels unnatural. Right? This is that that I think is the cognitive dissonance I'm having with the depiction of the like I find myself like looking at the depiction of Thingol and being like oh that's really really harsh maybe you know because we've been trying to pull back from that all that I'm like no now's the time to lean into it and make him uh,
4: right yeah despite despite accusations to the contrary we've worked pretty hard to make Thingol feel like a real person and not just some mustache twirling. A overly protective, probably a little racist father.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, Yeah. The general idea is that people make pretty ugly decisions when they're fearful. Right. And we've tried to demonstrate over the last two seasons, like the one episode that Thingle had in season five, this season, that he's quite fearful of what's been happening out in Valerian. Yes. And the, the failure <laughs> of the well, yeah, so the failure of the siege and the fall of the um, minister of the Tulsyrian has shown that the Noldor can't hold back Angband. Mm-hmm. Like, they, there was peace for a time, but they can't do that. So he knows that at some point those armies are going to be at his borders. Right. He doesn't right. know how soon. He doesn't know when or how or any of that. But Doriath is under siege in his mind.
4: And Melian has told him that the girdle will not last forever. Right.
2: So, so he might
4: interpret that as eventually the forces of Morgoth are going to show up yeah. and overpower the girdle.
2: Right. Yeah. So so his very legitimate concerns are being expressed in fear and draw everybody in and lock them behind this gate to keep them safe so there's this bunker mentality going on with single yeah and it's the same as what they're trying to do in nargothrond yeah so it's a justifiable reaction to there's something very scary outside the gate yeah but it's it's fear is very ugly and that's what he's doing to his daughter is he's reacting in fear
1: Right, especially when that fear becomes so immediately uh and starkly personalized in like it's not just my realm which is generally in danger, um, but like my daughter wants to go out and invade Angband, right? <laughs> like that's um Right that, that's I thought not I okay. solved
2: the problem by sending her boyfriend on a suicide mission and she's like, Cool, daddy, I wanna go with him too And you're like, No, yeah. wrong yeah.
1: answer. Yeah.
0: Wrong answer yeah.
1: Not the plan. Yeah. It, the, how, how, not only fear, but then also uh, guilt is kind of then mm-hmm. connected with that. Like that realization of, like, oh crap, have I killed my own daughter by doing this? Right. Like it's also influencing his state here and putting him in a suboptimal decision making <laughs> frame of mind. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I, I it's, um, this, again, okay, this is, this is the payoff that we've been trying for with try- with our restraint with Thingol in earlier seasons, right? Is that when he does act in these ways as he's acting now, that we see how this stuff is building up in him, right? And how these circumstances are influencing him rather than just, yeah, he um, he's just a villain, you know, a villainous character from the beginning. You know, it's just... He just has Jerk in his DNA, and there's nothing else about him.
2: I um, mean, he kind of
1: does. Uh, it's, uh, there's, there's a touch. There's a touch. Yeah. He's on to it.
3: like It's Jerk mixed with enough wisdom and charisma that he becomes the king of this entire group of people. Sure. Yeah. So that's something that when I'm writing Tingle, I try to balance in there. I try to make all his decisions make sense to him he's never completely right. irrational right. and I, I'll admit that Thingle's probably one of the harder characters for me to write I just for some reason I can't get into his head when I'm writing dialogue for him so if there are areas in the script where you guys think that Thingle sounds awkward or he should be a little less of a jerk or a little more of a jerk as the scene dictates then please let me know because it is one that I've always kind of struggled with is how to write Fingal
1: you know my my favorite scene, my favorite thingle scene, was the one where he and Melian are sitting on their thrones, silently staring ahead, not talking to each other or anybody else. That was really nice, um, and the way that that evokes like just inviting you to imagine what the two of them are thinking as they're sitting there. I th- I, th- I, I I actually kind of loved that little that little shot uh, there. I think that could be really that could be really powerful uh, if done properly. I and mean, of course, you know, we have to, we have to make sure the actors do a good job with that, but you know, that's always, but, uh, but, but I think they can probably pull it off.
3: Yeah. That was one of the things I added in there trying to make him a little more sympathetic and mm-hmm. inviting the audience to wonder, okay, does he regret this? Uh, well, yep. What is he feeling about it? But then he explains to Melian that I would rather sit here in silence and sorrow in my kingdom forever than get the news that Luthien was killed off on some suicide mission
1: yeah no I like that which
2: and the obvious benefit there is that what's going to bring out of all of this is he's gonna witness the death of Luthien and her return will restore him but he needs to reconcile with her before all of that can happen so like the whole, the worst thing that I could imagine happening in my life is the death of Luke. You know, we're like, well, guess what's going to happen in a few episodes. Right, but that that we will have seen him grow from this place before then. So, so he he has to deal with this fear.
1: Yeah, but that's that's the really cool thing. Coming back to the contrast with Finrod earlier in the episode, right? Like, the thing that he doesn't see, that he has no glimpse of, is that the death of Luthien is only the beginning of the story, right? That there's so much, it it turns out there will be so much more to that story um, and so much more to the marriage of Beren and Luthien. Um, You know, I mean, here here is Finra, Thingol, here is Thingol with his very understandable but very kind of narrow-minded view of, like, I just, like, I couldn't handle it if she died. Like, I don't, I want, I only want to protect and love my daughter, which is, again, like, totally understandable and not a wholly unadmirable sentiment. And then contrasted with, on the other end, Finrod's insight, right, his, you know, which culminates from everything that he's seen and, and you know, the athrobath and everything else, realizing this, the love of Baron and Luthien, um, which Thingol has rejected for those understandable but narrow-minded reasons, Finrod embraces and says, no, this is worth myself. This is worth dying for and giving up my kingdom for to help Baron and Luthien exist. So the way that the two of them are like counterparts and sort of foils for each other within the, within the, the you know inside the frame of this episode, I think is really is very cool.
3: It's like Finrod has the faith to let fate play out and run its course whatever happens to him, whatever happens to his kingdom or anybody else. Fingal is still fighting fate, trying to control it, trying to keep safe the people that he loves.
1: And that ultimately, I think, helps to explain the gap between him and Melian, right? Because Melian Melian knows. I mean, as soon as Baron crosses the girdle, Melian knows. Like, here he comes. Right. Doom has brought him. Um, and so she can't be surprised when Luthien shows. She might not have foreseen the shape that the doom would come. Right. But when Beren and Luthian walk into the throne room together, Melian has to know even more strongly than than Finrod sees. Right. This this was meant to be. Right. This is um, this is the doom. This is not only Baron's doom. doom, This is my daughter's doom. This is what has this is what should happen. This is what must happen. Um, And then here's Thingol taking the, again, understandable, but very narrow and shallow um, view of like, no, no, no. I just must protect my daughter and my land at all costs. And I'm not going to I'm not going to have faith in that. I'm not going to even go there. Um, or entertain that that possibility. So, um, but again, but it's very. I can relate to that. I can relate to his fear. I can relate to his doubt, to his love for his daughter, and his concern for his kingdom. Uh, I mean, I, ironically, right? In this episode, Finrod is being the bad king, and Thingol is being the good king, right? I mean, ironically, um, fr- and you know, from one point of view, and not even just from um, the uh, point of view of Kurafin's campaign, you can see that, right? I mean, it's what it looks like superficially. That's what it looks like, right? But the whole point is that we're we're inviting people to see below the surface there, as Finrod does and as Melian does, from one end to the next. Which is why I like that shot of her looking forward and not saying anything, right, and thinking different things than Thingle was thinking. Um very cool. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that this is um and this is uh I have to say that actually prior to doing any of the uh, the scripts or anything, I think that this episode was one of my least favorite. Um, that is one of the things that I was least looking forward to because I felt that the Nargothrond stuff was a little bit awkward and would be difficult. Um, And it, and, you know, and the way that it's kind of like, you know, (laughs) right. I mean, and, and the way we get like, you know, you get episode four, you know, Tanuvial, Tanuvial, and then we're going to get the like showdown with Sauron and the destruction of Tol and then we get the, you know, these two kind of interlude episodes right in the middle where we're just kind of putting things in motion Anyway, it certainly would not have been – there's so many huge, really amazing, big, important things happening in this season that this episode was certainly not one that I was, like, thinking, like, oh, that's going to be a really powerful episode, right? But I think I think that the way that – you know, the way we've been talking about it, the way that you – you know, that that it's been constructed um, and the wonderful start you have on it there, uh, Rihanna, really, I, just, I think um, – I am I am like ten times more excited for episode five now than I than I was before we talked. So I think that's I think that's pretty awesome. Well, very cool. Okay, so next the plan is to um, that our next session will be in two weeks. We're going to try to keep to our regular schedule even though we're approaching the holidays but Thursday the 27th, 22nd of December is the plan for our next session when we'll be discussing episode 6 um, when uh, Luthien moves from one prison to another and uh, Baron actually now everybody's just thrown into new prisons uh, um, <laughs> we're, prisons all around prisons all around <laughs> in beautiful prisons Huh? And they
3: the are. It's like they're playing musical prisons. <laughs> musical they play prisons, bar. exactly. They playing real Twitch.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. So. Right, um,
3: somebody. Oh, it was Spinrod this time.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, of course, we will finally have uh, the arising of the character we've been looking forward to, which is Huon, uh, in the next episode as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, who on finally moves past his egregious cameos that he has received <laughs> so many times in the last like four seasons, uh, and now, uh, will come into his own. So looking forward to that. So again, that discussion will be on the 22nd of December at 10 PM and the script discussion of episode 11. You guys are cruising. Um, will be next Friday, the 16th of December at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And that will be here again on the Twitch channel. Um, so you can take part in that live if you like or watch it afterwards. And, um, and then you can join us for the discussion of what we have for Episode 6 uh, when we get there next week. Awesome. Thank you guys so much, Rihanna, and Thanks for joining us. That was really fun. Really glad you could make it this evening. And thanks for your work uh, on that script. I know you kind of uh, jumped in at sort of at the last minute there. Uh, yeah, they
3: didn't have someone writing it, so I was like, do you want me to write it? I'm yeah. super busy these next three weeks, but when I have ideas, they usually flow pretty quickly, and that's how I was able Good. to write... Half a script in
1: that amount of time. Yeah, no, we
3: really. I have lots of ideas for the other scenes. I just need the time to sit down and write them. Absolutely. So hopefully, at some point, by the time we get to episode six or seven, I'll have five completely finished, and then I can start on Kurafin's campaign.
1: Excellent, excellent. Well, I look forward to both of those things. Um, And thanks to Dave and Maria Nick, as always, uh, for uh, uh, for joining me. That's been that's been great fun. And I will say to everybody, as always, thanks for listening and Godspeed.